Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I am back with Jane G. Jane is the CEO at Comply Global Limited. And she is in, I think, in London, but she is back to talk to us. She is in London, back to talk to us with more information on customer due diligence, the ML process, and beneficial ownership screening. So, Jane, first of all, thank you for taking the time to visit with me again today. No problem. Glad to be here, Tom. So, Jane, one of the things that drives innovation in a wide variety of compliance is the regulators and regulatory schemes. And I wanted to first start with what regulatory developments in the U.S. financial regulatory scheme in recent months have had the potential to impact transparency around beneficial ownership of companies that you've seen? Sure. Well, of course, the primary answer to that is that in May this year, the new FinCEN final rule on customer due diligence requirements came into full effect. That was devised to strengthen anti-money laundering procedures across the U.S. financial sector and to include the collection of beneficial ownership information. The final rule also adds what's called a fifth pillar, which states that financial institutions have to have appropriate risk-based procedures for conducting their ongoing customer due diligence monitoring in order to identify and report on suspicious transactions carried out by beneficial owners of a company. And in addition, the rule requires an update on the data which is held on customers, including beneficial owners, where the financial institution becomes aware of that information and where it's obviously it's relevant to assessing the risk posed by a customer. I think it's quite important to bear in mind the definition of beneficial ownership as well. This is a natural person or persons who own or control a customer, or it could be a natural person on whose behalf a transaction is conducted. It also includes people who exercise ultimate effective control over that legal person or arrangement. So it's a pretty broad definition. So one of the things that struck me in your opening remarks, Jane, was the focus on customer. And as you know, I typically practice in the non-financial commercial world, but the customer component is not something commercial organizations will typically run any type of screen on except perhaps a credit screen to see if they can pay. Why is customer due diligence so important in the financial institution world? And how does the change in customer due diligence as promulgated by FinCEN differ from its predecessor? Sure. So beneficial ownership is important because it is one of the main ways in which money launderers operate, essentially. And that's worth bearing in mind because In the past, it hasn't been a requirement. You knew all the beneficial owners. Now you're supposed to know those who own 25% or more. And it's important because just as the financial services sector has really led the campaign against anti-money laundering, there's got to be a catch-up in the non-financial sector. In the UK, 
and across Europe, there's been a big movement. The fourth money laundering directive included a lot more businesses which were brought in to be regulated to prevent anti-money laundering. It's important because we have trade-based money laundering. So people who are involved in wholesale supply of goods and things. It's not just suppliers that you need to check. It's also customers because customers may be people who are seeking to launder money through your business. And you need to protect your reputation just as much as a financial institution needs to protect their reputation. So checking who you're doing business with makes a lot of sense, whether you're a financial or a non-financial business. I wish I could print that last statement and send it to every non-financial commercial organization, starting in the state of Texas and then to the rest of the United States. That is absolutely spot on. And that's a a message that I hope both uh, you and I can continue to talk about. The other thing that struck me, Jane, is that there is a sort of a continuum that money launders will use. And that, by that, I mean, there has to be a bank. There has to be then a way to launder that money into a commercial operation or other operation to clean it. And that uh, the entire system breaks down if there's a weak link or a broken link. So that's a way of introducing how does all of this play into the overall anti-money laundering process as you're aware of it? Sure. Well, as I said, most entities now recognize that beneficial owners of companies, and in particular shell companies, is probably the creme de la creme of money laundering. So it's essential that beneficial ownership is established and people work out who are you really doing business with. I mean, to me, this makes enormous business sense because you can obviously, the more you know about a customer and the more that you're aware of that customer's the purpose of their business, the more likely you are to be able to do better business with them. So I do think that, you know, People moan about spending money on compliance, but really they are protecting their reputation. They're preventing themselves from being sanctioned by their regulator. And they're also potentially able to do better business. And I think that's something that businesses are increasingly recognizing. Also, there's a huge movement at the moment to try and prevent money laundering, which nobody can say how much there is. There have been estimates of approximately $2 trillion a year. I'm sure the figure is a great deal higher than that, but nobody is able to say exactly how much is laundered. And a lot of companies are unwittingly who are in the value chain. That's the lawyers, the accountants, the real estate professionals. A lot of those types of groups of people are used by money launderers, particularly as as financial services tightens up, it's quite likely that the money launderers are going to move into those other sectors. And I'm sorry, I didn't give you a very good answer to your question about how these things had changed. The new legislation that came in in May goes quite a bit further than the customer identification program, which is in the US Patriot Act. So banks and brokers and dealers need to identify the beneficial owners of all those legal entity customers. There are some exclusions to that. And I noticed that there were some exclusions published just on the 7th of September. As a result, no doubt of some lobbying, FinCEN has issued some exemptive relief from those beneficial ownership requirements. But I'm pleased to say that 
it, they are fairly restricted. And they are situations in which there are rollovers or renewals or modifications. But it still doesn't mean that a company doesn't have to continue to monitor that customer because who knows when information may come to light about a customer. It isn't just when you onboard them. It's obviously a continuing process. So you should be doing regular checks even after onboarding commensurate with the level of risk of that customer. So that brings up a great question, which is, You certainly started with your answer there of the continuing nature or the continuing process that is involved in this. So how do you advise customers, your clients, your customers, the best process to screen for beneficial ownership? That's a really interesting point. We've just had a report from FATFA and the Egmont Group back in July about the concealment of beneficial ownership. If you're suffering from insomnia, it's quite a good read. I think it's 190 odd pages. Anyway, having had a look at it, it makes clear that some of the existing data sources that financial institutions have been using to track down who the beneficial owners are haven't been that reliable. So some members of the Wolfsburg Group, that's major financial institutions, have said that the existing data providers, their records are either not complete or up to date. So if you are going to, as part of your compliance process, as part of your anti-money laundering process, one of the things you need to do is to screen people to ensure that there's no adverse information or negative news. Sometimes people like to refer to it as. But adverse information is very broad. It's not just what's in the media. It's also information that might be in some directories. It might be in disqualified directors. It might be in tax evaders. So there are lots of directories. And if you want to have the best possible ability to screen beneficial owners, what you really need is a real-time search platform. Now, the reason why I say that is FATFA mentions that there are millions of items of data added every day to the internet. So with the best will in the world, you cannot hope to keep up to date unless you have some kind of real-time search platform. And you might think that search engines such as Google or any of the other common search engines might do but they are not really good enough because they only search less than 5% of the internet. You really want a search engine which is much more thorough and which is designed to meet anti-money laundering legislation. So the company that I operate within, Comply Global, has exactly that. It has a real-time search engine. We're not the only one on the market. I think we'd all be worried. The investors would be worried if we were the only one. But there are other search engines. But our search engine was designed specifically to meet anti-money laundering legislation. And I think that's terribly important. So we use artificial intelligence that's including machine learning and natural language processing so that we can search far more thoroughly and much more efficiently than a human analyst can do manually. And that's crucial because if you want to protect yourself and really do a thorough job, that's the kind of search platform that you need. So in terms of the searches, or uh, let me perhaps take a step back. If I come to you and say, I've run searches on the US export screening, I've run 
politically exposed persons. I've run the specially designated individuals or specially designated persons, and I've run uh, criminal background checks. It occurs to me that based upon your description, I not only have not searched thoroughly for beneficial owners, but I may not have even, I may have completely missed them as no adverse media has come up. Would that be, did I understand that correctly? Yes, you did. So the sort of information that you could obtain by running a search on our platform would be information which would help meet the gaps that could potentially exist in your records and in what you're looking at. We need to search for within Europe. We talk about politically exposed persons. And quite often there is a lot of There's also a requirement to search for associates of those PEPs. The reason for that is because if you're going to launder money, you're not going to probably do it yourself. You're going to use one of your close associates or possibly the members of your family. And therefore, within Europe, PEPs includes both close associates and a certain degree of family member. And if you look for those people and you look for associations you'll very often be able to much more likely uncover where there are bad actors within a network and be able to do something about it. And that's the kind of detail that you will miss if you're only searching certain lists. And also, if you're not using a real-time platform that can go out And in our case, our Comply IQ uses over 500 search terms to establish whether a person is a bad actor. So how does all of that work in terms of the beneficial ownership issue? Do you have ways to help companies either perform that search or move forward to do that apart from the adverse media? Sure. Yes, we do. We offer two products. One of them is a search platform. That's Comply IQ. We also offer customer due diligence reports, which could be anything from verifying one particular detail right through to an enhanced due diligence report, which is very comprehensive. So we use sources for those. We use both our own search platform and we use other recognized sources. So our search platform, which is a global platform and which is designed to uncover information both within directories, which might be behind firewalls, behind passwords. It's a very thorough search. But if you want more information, then you would come to us and say, could you run a report for me? I want to establish whether this is accurate or not. So that business of Beneficial ownership. Beneficial ownership becomes complicated because money launderers like to use shell companies. They like to have a situation where they may have one company owned by another company or two companies. And that company in turn is owned by three people who are all in different countries. So it makes establishing beneficial ownership sometimes quite tricky, but we can help do that. And that's what our analysts are trained to do. So in terms of if a client comes to you and asks you to help them at least think through the process that they would need to go through, would it start with something as simple as a questionnaire or would it be more sophisticated than that before moving to the platforms that you've described that your company has? 
it does start with a questionnaire. It starts with somebody saying, what is the entity that you want to search for? And most people will say, okay, I've got this company that I'm looking at. We will run a search if you requested. One of the things I wanted to emphasize to you was that we're very keen to make sure that people can onboard customers as quickly as possible. So, searching for adverse news is something which should be done at an early point in the process of compliance and anti-money laundering checks and onboarding. So, you want to have a look and see if there is something. Of course, in some cases, you may decide that there is some adverse information about the first entity that is your actual customer. And you may say, I don't want to go any further than this. That's made the decision for me, if you like. Equally, you may say, well, I've realized that this company is owned, has a parent. I've seen from some of the connections that we have enabled you to make as a result of our search platform that there are other companies in the chain. And I now want to run other searches on those other companies, which we could help achieve. But You see, our services are tailored both to a very sophisticated financial institution as well as an SME who doesn't have resources themselves because we want to help the whole gamut of potential clients, not just the larger financial institutions. So, Jane, we are getting near the end of our time, but I wanted to perhaps conclude with something along the lines of the following. Well, I guess there's two things that have struck me throughout this interview. One was the ongoing nature of the research, the investigation, the dialogue, the process. It doesn't just stop when something is completed. And that really emphasized to me the business process nature of all of this. Certainly the process you've described that you and your company would go through, but also the process the your client, the customer, the bank, the non-financial institution would need to follow through with who is this person we're doing business with, why are we doing business with them, and perhaps how are we doing business with them. And then the um, potential damages to a company with the reputational damage, even if they're not sort of engaged in money laundering. So do you see this really as a part of an ongoing dialogue or even a business process going forward? Absolutely. So you will need to run some checks at the initial phase when you're onboarding, and then you need to determine the frequency with which you do that. In fact, FinCEN says you need to do it when you are aware of information or at intervals that you have decided at the beginning. Obviously, we don't pretend, we never have done, that we're a reg tech company, so we're a regulatory technology. We've never pretended that you shouldn't involve human beings in the process. Indeed, you have to involve human judgment when you're making these risk assessments. Our job is to provide the information you need to make the risk assessment. So that's a risk assessment, both whether to take on the client and how often to check that client. But we do have a chatbot, Samantha, that we have used to show that a director could, for example, wake up in the morning and decide that they need to run a check again on the company that they've onboarded the previous week. With regulatory technology, you have the ability to run the same check, but only bring back new information. So you don't need to look back through all the information that you had on the first search. Now, that kind of use of technology will 
mean that a lot of the hard work that compliance requires is made a great deal easier and far less time consuming and expensive for a business. So I would urge people to consider where this kind of technology can help them and how it can make their lives easier and enable them to make, because they've got more information, to potentially make the right business decision for their business. Well, Jay, now we are at the end of our time, but this has just been a fascinating discussion. What I've really heard is that the regulators, with some of the new developments in U.S. financial regulation, have really led the innovation that uh, people like yourself have helped develop for you know people like me who might have a company that needs it. So I'm greatly looking forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you. Thank you very much, Tom. Pleasure. Now I'd like to present you with a special offer to attend Converge 18, hosted by Conversant, with a 50% discount. As you know, the last year has publicly brought ethics to the center of business reputations worldwide. With the acceleration of the speak-up culture and organizational accountability that social media is enabling and amplifying, companies need to incorporate integrity into every level of their organization. Converge 18 is helping organizations to do just that by addressing ethical transformations head-on. This event will be held in Denver, Colorado from October 8th through 10th. At it, you will be able to network with 300 of your peers, including C-suite executives, legal professionals, HR leaders, and ethics and compliance visionaries. Gain insights from 35 speakers, including such prominent speakers as Wei Chen, Steph Vogel, the NBA's Deputy Chief Compliance Officer, and Carol Switzer, President of OSEC. You will bring home actionable takeaways to your compliance program from a variety of sessions, including two keynotes, five general sessions, 12 based roundtables, and 18 interactive breakout sessions for you. You can get more information on Converge 18 at Conversant's website, conversant.com. Listeners to this podcast will receive a 50% discount to the event. Use the discount code TOMFOXVIP. That's all caps, TOMFOXVIP. If you're a compliance professional looking for a convenient and effective way to fulfill your continuing education requirements, go to fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses and choose from four hour-long training packages that will keep you current. That's fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses.